Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Samuel, Psalm 130, and John 6. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Atai, Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There Israel's troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as that mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. And ten of Joab's armor-bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And from John chapter 6, verse 35, and 47 through 51. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. More than 50 years ago, Frank Sinatra recorded the song, My Way. His now popular karaoke tune includes these memorable lines. Regrets? I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. 
Truth be told, Sinatra had many regrets, including the fact that he recorded my way. His daughter, Tina, said that he came to hate the song and thought it was self-serving and self-indulgent. But on a deeper level, Tina told the BBC that her father was beset with doubt and insecurity and later guilt at the way he had behaved as a father. The bottom line, she said, was that career would be first. We, as children, had to realize that from a very early age. Most of us have many regrets. There are regrets for things we have done and said, and regrets for things we have left undone or unsaid. The Apostle Paul describes the human dilemma this way, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Amy Somerville is a professor of sociology or social psychology at Miami University in Ohio. She studies regret. She says, regret is feeling bad because things could have been better if I had done something differently in the past. In a radio interview, she said that regret is a central part of decision-making and how we feel about the choices we make. By some estimate, she said, it is the most common negative human emotion that people feel in their daily lives. And she believes that we experience more regret than we did in the past because of the abundance of choices that we have as a result of modern technology. The more choices and options, the more chances to regret our decisions. With social media, for example, we can see that what everyone else is doing on their holidays or how their children are excelling or how they are remodeling their house or how their garden is thriving. And instantly we regret what we're doing on our holidays or the struggles we're having with our kids or the color of paint we chose when we remodeled or the fact that our garden is a weed-infested disaster. If Sinatra were recording my way today, it would probably be regrets I've had plenty, too many to even mention. Let me share a few stories about regret and then offer some good news. King David's life was full of regrets. Today's Old Testament reading from 2 Samuel is just one example. David had a dysfunctional family. His adultery with Bathsheba is what we remember most, but it's really only the tip of the iceberg. According to biblical scholars, David had at least eight wives and another 10 concubines or lovers. You can see a very complicated family tree with David's line starting right in the middle. Family dynamics were challenging at best. Most of his children were born to different wives, so they were half-brothers and half-sisters. Never did that cause more trouble than between Amnon, whose mother was Ahinoam, and Absalom, whose mother was Makkah. The Bible says that Absalom was the most handsome man in all Israel. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. The New Living Translation says he was flawless from head to foot. Absalom cut his long flowing hair only once a year when it became too heavy, tipping the scales at five pounds. 
As we see in today's text, that long hair was his downfall. Absalom had a sister named Tamar, and like Absalom, she was a good looker. Their half-brother Amnon fell in love with the beautiful Tamar, sexually assaulted her, and then turned on her in disgust. When Absalom found out, he was livid. For two years, he sheltered Tamar in his home. His anger and rage seethed silently. He was waiting for his father David to step in and punish Amnon. But when David failed to do so, Absalom took matters into his own hands. One day, Absalom invited all of his half-brothers to a sheep-shearing festival. Now, can you imagine anything more festive than shearing sheep? But Amnon was among the half-brothers who showed up for this celebration. And during the festival, Amnon ordered his soldiers, or Absalom orders his soldiers to kill Amnon. Absalom then feared for his life. He feared that David would punish him. So he fled to his grandfather's house where he hid in exile for three years. But David eventually missed Absalom and he invited him to return to Jerusalem. Still, Absalom was not done with his scheming. He began to undermine his father's leadership. He spoke against King David to the people. And then under the pretense of keeping a vow to God, he went to Hebron where he amassed an army and declared himself king. When King David learned of the coup, he and his followers fled Jerusalem and crossed the Jordan River. While following the counsel of his advisors, Absalom pursued his father across the Jordan to Gilead, where the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim in modern-day Jordan. David divided his army into three groups and stayed behind, but not before clearly ordering his troops to deal gently with Absalom. The battle ensued. David's army prevailed. 20,000 soldiers died that day, but according to the text, the forest claimed more lives than the sword. When we lived in Jordan on several occasions, we traveled to the village of Wahadna, where MCC supported a Latin Catholic school. The school with more than 200 children from kindergarten through grade six welcomes both Christian and Muslim children from the community. This area is near the Jordan River and was the hometown of the prophet Elijah. Some think it was also the site from which Elijah ascended to heaven in a chariot of fire. Wahedna is near the great forest of Gilead where the battle was fought between Absalom's troops and David's. While it was deforested during the Middle Ages, today it is again filled with trees that have low-hanging branches. Absalom is an example of how the forest claimed more lives than the sword. As Absalom was riding his mule under a tree, his long flowing hair got tangled in the branches. His startled mule kept going, leaving the hapless Absalom hanging from the tree. Joab, 
one of David's generals took three spears and thrust them into Absalom's heart. But rather than celebrating this military victory, David mourned the depth, the death of Absalom. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. This was shocking to David's generals who had risked their lives to protect David and to preserve his kingship. You see, David wanted it both ways. He wanted to remain king, and he wanted a good relationship with his son Absalom. And so as David's reign as king comes to a close, he has more than a few regrets. His personal failures have cost him dearly. How might have things, for example, turned out differently if he had chosen to hold Amnon responsible for sexually assaulting Tamar? Regrets? David had plenty. My son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. As the Olympics wind down in Tokyo, this week also commemorates the 76th anniversary of the U.S. dropping atomic bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The blast killed between 129 and 226,000 people, mostly civilians. It remains the only use of nuclear weapons in arms, armed conflict. Six years ago this week, I received an email from a Japanese graduate of Eastern Mennonite University Center for Justice and Peace Building. Akiko Ishihara had just traveled to Hiroshima for the 70th anniversary of the bombing. She wrote that the death from that first bomb on August 6 had climbed to 200, the death toll had climbed to 280,000. She said the trip strengthened her resolve that nuclear weapons should be abolished. And then Akiko reported that while in Hiroshima, she met a young American woman at a cafe. The American woman was writing a book about her grandfather's life. It seems that her grandfather was involved in the Manhattan Project that had built the atomic bomb during World War II. And for the rest of his life, he struggled with depression and alcoholism because of the regret and the guilt that he felt about his actions. This young American woman could not finish her book without traveling to Japan to research the impact of the bombings and to learn firsthand what had haunted her grandfather all these years. This is an example of the fact that war causes suffering for both the victims and perpetrators, Akiko told me. And this young woman's work and search for truth is a beautiful journey of reconciliation and restorative justice. Each of us have, has a story of regret. Before my father died, he took me out for coffee and told me that he wished he had been more present during my growing up years. My father had dedicated his life to working in the church and for church institutions. He said that in his generation, the call of the church was deemed to be synonymous with the call of God. And in retrospect, he said he wished that he had said no more often to serving on this committee or that committee so that he would have been home more evenings. 
When I think back to my early years as a father, I share that regret. Our jobs can be so demanding as we attempt to get established in our careers. I regret being too busy. I regret to do, try to do doing too much for fear of missing an important opportunity. I regret not always being emotionally present for my children. Each of us has a story of regret. The late comedian Lucille Ball once quipped, I'd rather regret the things I've done than regret the things I haven't done. And in a similar vein, singer-songwriter Yoko Ono said, the regret of my life is that I have not said I love you often enough. What are your regrets? What have you done or left undone that haunts you in quiet moments of honest reflection? What would you do differently if you had another chance? There is good news. God can redeem our bad choices. God is a God of transformation. The psalmist says it so beautifully in Psalm 130 that Janelle read, Out of the depths I have called to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears consider well the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, were to note what is done amiss, O Lord, who could stand? For there is forgiveness with you, therefore you shall be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. In God's word is my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, wait for the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. With the Lord there is plenteous redemption. With the Lord there is mercy. With the Lord, there is plenteous redemption. We see this time and again in the Bible. Think of the story of Joseph being sold by his brothers to enslavement in Egypt. He later told them, even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as God is doing today. Or the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, God turned betrayal and death into resurrection and the redemption of humankind. God can also redeem our bad choices. Indeed, God can even redeem choices that fill us with deepest regret. But there's a part for us to play as well. God's redemption, God's transforming justice is unleashed as we confess our regrets. Confession is part of every worship service at WCF. Confession is acknowledging our regrets. It is telling the truth about what we have done or left undone. In his book, Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption, Brian Stevenson writes, each of us is more than the worst thing we have ever done. God's healing justice is activated when we acknowledge our regrets and acknowledge God's power to forgive and redeem. Second, God's transforming justice is unleashed 
as we learn from our regrets. Journalist Alex Krotowski says that we should see a bad decision as an opportunity to learn. Let your regrets guide you to make better decisions going forward, he says. You, can, you can't change the past, but you can affect the future. Focus on the things you can control, not the things you cannot. We can learn from our regrets. Novelist James Joyce wrote, mistakes are the portals of discovery. And third, God's transforming justice is unleashed as we make amends for our regrets. Kotowski goes on to say, if your regrets are about your actions and how they affected other people, then apologize. Rather than dwelling on it, take positive action to right the wrongs. Well, it's not always possible to make amends, but sometimes it is. I once visited the Puerto Rican island of Vieques with a former U.S. Marine who had become a pacifist. Until 2003, the U.S. military used Vieques as a bombing range and testing ground, including for chemicals like Agent Orange. Conrad had been stationed in Vieques during his military service, and this was his first trip back since leaving the military. We met an older woman who lived on the island, and she talked about the negative impact the U.S. military had had on the island and how their after-hours boisterous behavior had harmed residents on the island. Conrad looked at her and said, I'm so sorry, I never even thought about what we were doing. And she responded with words that I will never forget. This is why God gives us many days so that we can make things right. On a much larger scale, there are ongoing conversations today about reparations for our regrettable national history of dispossession of natives peoples and the enslavement of African Americans. And courageous leaders speak of a world without nuclear weapons. We can confess our regrets. We can learn from our regrets. We can make amends for our regrets. And there's one thing more. In the gospel reading today, Jesus confidently offers this promise about how to live regret-free. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. In other words, choosing to follow Jesus daily, to feast on him, is one choice we will never regret. It will result in fullness of life, satisfaction, contentment. Most of our regrets are about bad choices that we make in pursuit of pleasure, or meaning, or power, or importance. Jesus offers what we yearn for at the deepest level. Now, to be clear, Jesus does not promise a life without challenges and hardships. Jesus does not promise a rags-to-riches story. But to those who choose to follow him daily, Jesus does promise a life filled with meaning and purpose 
and joy, a life that will have impact and make a difference. At the deepest level, Jesus promises his followers a life without regrets, or certainly a life with too few regrets to mention. Amen.